Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there is a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine, and when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million women worldwide who have joined Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code PFF. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you the bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PFF. It's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. What is up? Welcome into the Monday edition of Talking Ball. We're going to break down the week two slate. What a week it was. Great weekend of college football, NFL. We're going to give the one take, though, on every game over the course of the weekend. We're going to be doing fun to watch segment, re-upping that this week. Mailbag Mondays as well. And some football-adjacent power rankings that I think you guys are going to like at the end. Uh, I think this is my favorite one yet, Quinn. I don't, I don't know if uh, we should tease it. Should we tease it off the top exactly what it is? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so this one, we're going to do football players whose names sound like porn stars. In honor of DJ Dallas throwing the worst interception I've ever seen in my entire life. That trick play from the Seahawks. Um, special. One of the highlights. One of the many highlights. From over the weekend. A lot of names on this list, too. Man. Just spoiler alert. We got the doc pulled yeah. up. There's a lot of names on this Dude, list. Dude, trying, trying to parse it down to five. I, I was surprised how many out there that I was like, that, that's a pretty good porn star name. Uh, so we'll get to that at the end of the show. Make sure you guys tune into that. But let's start now with the one take. Every game around the NFL this past week, giving you one take free. My biggest takeaway for each team going forward from what I saw on the football field. We're going to go back to Thursday night where the Chargers kind of chargered again. Uh, they This was a quintessential Chargers loss. Um, I, I know Kevin Cole works at PFF, does analytics here, caught a lot of flack for his true score metric, having the Chargers winning 25 to 16. But it was true, right? Like they, they were, they looked like the better team. They just threw the 99-yard pick six. You know, they just had the hurry-up play to Gerald Everett that resulted in Jalen Watson pick six. That just was unlike, you know, it was just a game-changing play that if Gerald Everett's, you know, not on that football field after he was obviously gassed, if it's going anywhere else, that game goes completely differently. But hats off Justin Herbert. I mean, that dude played a hell of a game through broken ribs or whatever the hell he has, broken cartilage in his ribs. They said there was no risk of re-injury, which is why he was out there. But I've never seen a dude just give up on a play like he did on that third down with, like, room to run, just throwing it away. So something was going on wrong there. Then he threw one of the throws of the weekend on the play after that. But to me, the Chargers' problem is kind of – it's kind of threefold, right? Everyone's shitting on them for not attacking down the football field. It's such a conservative offense. You have all these spacing concepts where it's just kind of – Herbert throwing to stick routes in rhythm and on time. 
and it takes them a bunch of completions to get down the football field. And one that's been Lombardi's MO, you know, ever dating back to his time in Detroit. Two, that was Herbert's MO, dating back to his time at Oregon. And three, they don't have a receiver that can run away from guys down the field. It's kind of their receiver's MO. Mike Williams had a hell of a game, but it took him five contested catches to do so, to put up the numbers that he did. You know, that's not going to be a sustainable method of success, and especially down the football field. Um, you just compare their offense and just how the, the kind of space those guys can create versus Miami's, and it's like they're playing a different, different game. So I, I'm not sure this is a problem that gets fixed. The fact that they can't put teams away, that they can't, you know, they can look very, very good, but not light up the scoreboard, not really put teams in the dirt when it matters most. I, I think that's my biggest takeaway is this is a threefold problem that until they change one of those folds, it ain't going to be, ain't going to be changed anytime soon. To me, it, it reminds me a lot of, you know, they need the Tyreek to open up Alex Smith. They need the guy to get Herbert out of his shell and, and to not keep taking those kind of underneath intermediate targets and really open up that offense. So very unfortunate because this is a big-ass game. This is going to be big come playoff time, come seeding time. And my takeaway for the Chiefs is, like, they stole one. That, that, was, not, that was not a vintage Mahomes performance. I don't think that was a vintage defensive performance. Um, obviously, without Trent McDuffie in this one, they weren't at full strength. But that, they, that's one where, honestly, it comes back to, like, up top. The Chiefs win those routinely. The Chargers lose those routinely. Is there a reason why? Yes, probably. It probably stems back to, again, coaching, head coach, quarterback, whatever. There's something going on that is leading the Chargers to give away a lot of these games. Um, and it's not just one person. Uh, so those are my biggest takeaways for each of those. Let's get to the Sunday slate where Buck Saints lived up to the defensive showdown we thought it was going to be, lived up to the hatred we thought we were going to see. That, that, that Mike Evans play, man. My, my biggest takeaway for the Saints is I'd be fucking pissed that Marshawn Lattimore got kicked out of that game. He got cheap-shotted by Mike Evans in the middle of like a normal dust-up, you know, a normal shouting match that happens multiple times every Sunday on an NFL football field. It, it was not anything out of the ordinary. It was not ejection-worthy until Mike Evans comes out of nowhere and blindsides him like that 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 was fucked up to me I I would be pissed if I was a Saints fan yeah but Brady paid a lot for that new face you, yeah know? you got to protect you need somebody to protect it yep that is true I mean I you don't want to miss it you can't miss another week to get plastic surgery in the middle of the season that that was a preseason thing if, if he gets any any more chips on that jawline it'll be cutting glass so I, I would be pissed though that that was I feel like the NFL has to do a better job of targeting the guy who started who es the escalator of a situation. And to me, that was Mike Evans. Um, but man, the, the Jameis, the, that was, that was the Jameis that Bucks fans know and Bucks fans loved and love to hate because it, it seems like some quarterbacks crawl into a shell after they make a big pick, after they have a bad play, Jameis, is the opposite. He crawls out of his shell. He's like, I got to make up for that. I have to do something even crazier because that didn't bounce my way. This next one will. Four turnover-worthy plays. Um, 
just overmatched. Not a vintage James game by any means. But other side of the ball, biggest takeaway for the Bucks. I think they're terrified of this offensive line. I think Brady, I think that Byron Leftwich as well. Like I, I, the way they're calling plays and the way they're scheming up this offense. It, I obviously it's obviously they've won two games. You know the two and zero. Oh. Offense is not moving the ball. You know, 19 points last week, 20 points this week. Um, and, and one of those was off of a pick six. So the Bucks really, and, and uh, Timo Riske, who who's also works with PFF in the analytics department here, pointed this out. Their pass rate over expectation before, you know, when it was Bruce Arians in charge. Well, Bruce Arians, I don't know, was on the sideline. So I don't know what the hell was going on there in terms of who was in charge this past weekend, but he was still on the sideline. But the last two seasons, they have been, 9% over-expected pass rate based off of the game script. Second highest rate over-expectation in the NFL behind only the Chiefs, which makes sense. You have Tom Brady. You would like to pass the ball. It's going to be more efficient than you're running. So far, they're negative 5% over-expectation. They are one of the most run-heavy teams in the NFL. Obviously, didn't work out this past week in terms of actually being efficient with the run game. It, Leonard Fournette was getting nothing going on the ground. And even still, they didn't want to open it up and I think it is because of this offensive line. This was the top three line the last two seasons. It, it had they could run those deep concepts with relative confidence that you know it's not going to be subjecting Tom Brady to unnecessary hits. He's capable of protecting himself. Knows when the you know internal clock's going too long. Has to get it out. Now he doesn't even the internal clocks doesn't matter at this point. They're letting up too, pressure too quickly. Like they got, the guys that they have in this game in terms of Luke Gedeke struggling at the left guard position, whether it was Josh Wells um, at, at left tackle for Donovan Smith, who's been out. I, I do just think they don't trust this offensive line, and that's scary because you're, they're going to have to at some point open it up. This offense, I've said it's the best defense in the NFL. I still believe that, but this offense has to be better than what we've seen for them to still win the NFC, still, you know, to play like one of the best teams in the NFL. All right, on to the Commanders against the Lions. Commanders lose 27-36. Lions cover the spread as favorites at home. How often do you hear that? Favorites at home for the Lions. Over 49.5 hits as well. For the Commanders, I just can't believe this defense is as, like, inconsistent as it's been. You know, I, 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 it blows my mind, and it starts up front. You know, when their defensive line, when this front four does not get home, when they aren't getting pressure, and the Lions offensive line, hats off to them. They are tremendous. That is, that might be the best line in the NFL right now. At least that, them and the Eagles are one and two. They're right there. Those, those two lines are, are out of this world. But when that, when that D-line cannot get home, this back end's just not good enough. And when you have a defensive-minded head, head coach, that's always worrisome that you're just not fixing the problems that we've seen over the past couple seasons. So obviously not a new takeaway, but one that is concerning because if you had any playoff aspirations, you should beat the Lions. I know it's on the road, but if you're losing to the Lions, you're probably not a team that's going to contend. I'll just say it right now. And from the Lions, my biggest takeaway is I think we need to stop just referring to Amon Ra as like a slot receiver and looking down our noses at being a slot receiver as if that's a bad thing. And hand up, I'm guilty of it myself. Like I've, you know, called guys slot onlys, 
you know, in, in the draft and then move them down the board accordingly. But I do think the way NFL is trending, especially with the rise of two high safety defenses that leave more space in the middle of the field. You know, when you have two high safeties, when you have these two high shells, whether it's cover two, four, six, whatever, any of those buckets where two deep defenders and more guys on the back end, that leaves more space in those underneath zones. It means you only have three guys with technical under technically having underneath zone responsibility, which leaves a lot more space to work. And so the guys who are really crafty in that area of the football field, Amon Ross St. Brown, him, it was good as it gets at that area. I think it's super valuable and only because, as I said, only becoming more valuable because in this game, he was you know, nine catches, 116 yards, two touchdowns, two rushes, 68 yards on the ground. Now 17 catches through two games. He's, uh, He's the real deal, and it's time to stop just being like, oh, he's a slot. No, Amon Ra is like a weapon. He's something that you're going to have to game plan around or game plan for if you're facing the Lions. Uh, so Lions offense, man, they, they, look, they look tough through two weeks now. 71 points. Whew. Sheesh. All right. On to the Colts at Jags where Colts, you know, this isn't I, – I hate that I wrote this down. I'm going to say it, but you know how Rodgers had the R-E-L-A-X? Colts is a P-A-N-I-C. This is bad. There's issues on this team right now. Matt Ryan looks like shit. There's no, no way about it. He leads the NFL with six turnover, turnover where he plays. They played the Texans and the Jags, two of the worst defenses in the league a year ago, who, yeah, they made some upgrades. Not enough to, not enough to have six turnover where he plays through two weeks. First interception in that game was a lollipop. Pressure was coming, and he was. How cooked would you say he is? Mm. Like medium, medium rare, well done. It's like al dente pasta. He's a little, he's getting there. A few more minutes, you're eating that pasta. And they were fucking eating his lunch <laughs> this past weekend. They, uh, and that offensive line, we, we said going in, hey, left tackle could be an issue. You got Matt Pryor there or rookie Bernard Raymond. Pryor looked bad. Three pressures, 43.6 pass blind grade. Hey, right guard, Mark Lewinsky left to the Giants. Danny Pinter steps in, 34.0 pass blocking grade on the day. Against the Jags, tough. It's tough. Things are looking ugly there. And, and yeah, it'll turn around to a degree. But I don't see this offense like being explosive. They don't have explosive personnel. And the offensive line is not to the degree where it was when it was really humming with Jonathan Taylor, where it's like we can definitely rely on that every single game. I don't think you can. I don't think you can with this Colts offensive line. For the Jags, I'll say it. Christian Kirk's rapport with Trevor Lawrence has been outstanding. Another guy. I'm complimenting all the slot receivers this week but he's he's a guy that trevor lawrence can trust and we i still think they overpaid i, I still am of the opinion that i was a butt ton of money for a guy that i wouldn't put near that level of receiver around the league in just in terms of talent but his rapport like it, it's a guy that trevor lawrence can actually rely on all six of his targets he caught this past week that was two best routes came against linebackers, but that's that's ideal. That's what you want. That's if you're Doug Peterson, you are elated when that's the when that's the case. When you're getting Christian Kirk on a linebacker, 
Last year they would get, you know, LaVisca Chenault linebacker, and he was looked like he looked like a tight end. Kirk's a different animal out of the slot. Far more of a traditional slot receiver, and I think you're seeing the benefit of it. So, Jags, Jags oh, exciting. Exciting turnaround for them. All right, Patriots-Steelers. Patriots come away victorious as the road faves. Cover the one-point spread. The under hits, 40-and-a-half. This felt like, I tweeted out, this felt like how football games went in 2006. Where back in, like, 2006, there were just most quarterbacks would throw, like, a pick in every game, like there, everyone would be throwing up some, some throw would be just up for grabs. The the offenses, it would almost be like fluky how a lot of games went in terms of when they scored 17 to 14. Just, it, it felt like how football was to me growing up, not kind of what it's evolved into over the past decade and a half. And for the Patriots, the biggest takeaways I am, I'm concerned for Mac Jones about Mac Jones. And can he elevate? Can he elevate? And and again, you have you got Matt Patricia calling plays, so I, I don't know, I'm not sure what you expected, but a 50.7 grade in this one, passing grade in this one. Tough defense, but that's not a tough secondary. I mean, outside of Minka Fitzpatrick, there there are holes to be exploited, and I, I don't know. I got. Jones will bounce back for sure. This is he's not going to be as bad as he's been the first two weeks all season long. But it's like where where's the high ends? Where's the the drives that you point to where it's like that's the guy? You know, that's that's Mac Jones. That's the that's our franchise. That's what I can hang my hat on the next decade. How difficult is it gonna to be to evaluate him though? Because we always talk about like you can't really truly evaluate a young quarterback until you like invest in them and get playmakers mm-hmm. and get a good like they have I mean, you said it multiple times on this podcast. They're just not very talented. Yes. They don't have anybody. They, so, like, they, how how are you factoring that into your Mac Jones analysis? Yeah, they, they don't have a guy. It, even though Nelson Aguilar's catch over the weekend was, like, the kind of catch that that guy makes. That was an insane grab over the top of Keller Willispoon who struggled this year. Um, but they, there's no go-to receiver in that offense. And, and any time – a division rival is willing to trade you a player. Turn, chances are you probably shouldn't be thinking you're fleecing them. Devontae Parker's looked awful through two weeks. He has caught one of four targets for nine yards on 64 pass plays he's been on the football field. He's averaging .15 yards per route. I don't need to tell you that that's the lowest of any receiver in the NFL right now who's like actually playing snaps. It's been rough. Rough. So, I was concerned about the Patriots' offense. Now I'm concerned about Mac Jones as well. From the Steelers, this isn't a new take, but it is becoming abundantly more clear. They need a new offensive court. Like the, their offense, the Mac Canada's. I, I can't believe one he got the job in the first place. Two, he kept it into the season, and three that they're expecting much different results. You have a. You have a top. You have a top 10 receiving core at worst in the NFL. You know, borderline top five. You could make the argument, I bet Steelers fans would claim they have a top five wide receiving core in the NFL. Creating offense should not look this difficult. And they're just not attacking down the football field. 5.1 yards per attempt. Average depth of target well under eight yards. You're not, you have big play 
potential that you're not scheming to whatsoever. And, and you can blame the offensive line, but you've done nothing to move the ball through two weeks. Um, it's a little more than just the offensive line. All right, on the Panthers-Giants. Panthers lose 16-19. Giants cover at home, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Under hits in that one, 43 was the number there. For the Panthers, the biggest takeaway is clock's ticking. Matt Rule, first head coach fired odds have to just be heavy fave. Start 0-2 after what's been just such a disjointed, whether it's – they just feel like they're flying by the seat of their pants in Carolina. Whether it's like the numerous trades that they make that are always short-sighted. The Stefan Gilmore trade last year was – it never made sense. The, the Baker Mayfield after you traded up for Corral, like so late in the process when if you could have got, gotten that guy in the fold earlier, you could have had him up to speed over the course of the offseason. I, I, I don't know how much longer of a leash he has, but it's just it's not good. Not good in Carolina. The Giants' biggest takeaway, I mean, to me, it's personnel-related. You're not evaluating this team for Super Bowl aspirations, despite being 2-0. Like, awesome start for them. And my takeaway last week was that I think Brian Dable's a dude as a head coach. I think they're in good hands, or much better hands than they were prior previously. But takeaway is Andrew Thomas, man. He's playing at a Pro Bowl level. Andrew Thomas, left tackle for the New York Giants, who got absolutely shit on his rookie year. Rightfully so. He wasn't good. But written off by some. Called a bust, called an awful draft pick. That's why you wait. Because he had an 89.1 grade through two weeks. A few pressures in this one. You're not going to shut out guys like Brian Burns all day. They have an athletic edge group there. It's tough. But through two weeks, 77 pass blocking snaps, only four pressures. Hasn't allowed a sack yet. And like I said, 89.1 overall grade. He's playing at Pro Bowl level. Dave Gettleman got it right, guys. Maybe not completely. Tristan Wirfs is probably still the best tackle from that class. But Andrew Thomas, the clear OT2 from that class at the moment. If not challenging Wirfs for OT1, he's been fantastic. All right. 49ers, Seahawks. 49ers roll 27-7. Cover 10-point spread on the road. Eric, just that was at home. My bad. Under 42.5 hits. But the story of the game was not anything to do with that. Trey Lance, done for the year with just such a weird injury. Like, he, they tried to get up. Not often do you see, like, that gruesome and that obviously serious, severe of an injury. And the guy's like, let me just try to walk off the field right now. That was, oof. Um, hate to see it. And it's looking right now. We touched on this a, touch, a little bit in a mailbag segment, but 2021 first-round pick, 2022 first-round pick, 2023 first-round picks for the San Francisco 49ers, they're all wrapped up in Trey Lance. They are Trey Lance. They are gone out the window, and they are going – and as it stands right now, they've been for zilch in terms of your roster building. Three straight first-rounders done nothing for you on the football field as of a year and a half in. It's going to be two years in. He's not going to – all those picks are going to be gone by the time Lance is even doing anything. And the biggest thing is Lance just needs to play, right? Like he's got less than 500 dropbacks in his college and NFL career. 
And in college, like a lot of those were not even, were, I don't want to say meaningless, but we're not what it looks like in the NFL. We're, we're not doing things. We're, just not, we're not playing competition that's even going to like train you to be better at the NFL level. So he needed this. He needed the reps and the timing of it too. Yeah. Right. Like the last time he had played a full season was what? It's going to be three years ago now. Yes. 2019. Like that's, that's an issue. 2019. He's played, I think he's made like four starts since then. That's brutal. That's, that's just not enough football. So very, very unfortunate for 49ers fans. And everyone's saying they're better in the short term. It's like, okay, yeah, I, probably, you know, Trey Lance did not look great week one. Did not great that first drive necessarily, like was just fine, whatever. But you're hoping for his ceiling. His ceiling could push much higher than Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is, you know, you know what he is, and it's consistently been just not enough over the years. So very, very unfortunate there. Uh, on the Seahawks, my biggest takeaway for them is they, they already won their Super Bowl. Super Bowl was week one for them. Super Bowl was beating Russell Wilson. Every former Seahawks player came out the woodwork to celebrate that one. And then, then they kind of just crawled back to the team that just flat out isn't talented enough to compete this year. That's, that is what I expected a lot of their games, or expect a lot of their games, unfortunately, to look like. You just starting too many youngsters, not enough established guys. You lose, you know, one of your highest paid players in Jamal Adams week one. It's just not going to go well for you this season. So already won the Super Bowl. Up next, Falcons head to the Rams in a tight one. They cover the 10.5-point spread, the over 47.5 hits in that one. My takeaway, though, for the Falcons is, at this point, just let Ritter spin it, right? Mariota, two games in, 60.5 grade this week, 58.9 last week. Not like a liability, but he's not going out there and winning games. Um, Little... uh little life hack here for any Cincinnati fans, UC fans out there. Falcons come here October 15th. Get your tickets now. Could be. That he could be. Start, Ritter could be starting by then. Could be. And truthfully, it's possible. It, it, it just – Ritter's – I don't want to say completely ready. Like he's not going to – I'm not saying he's going to be an upgrade over Marcus Mariota. But you might as well give him the reps and find out what he got. Mariota – I think it's safe to say has not changed his stripes. This is the guy we saw with Tennessee. Just too inconsistent. Not enough downfield passing ability to really elevate you. And now they have they played two likely playoff teams, you know, playoff hopefuls type. Give them credit for that. I think this defense is talented, up and coming. A lot of reasons to be encouraged about this roster. But just let Ritter spin it, right? Like let him let him let him sink or swim. Because you're gonna to have to make a you're gonna to have to make a quarterback decision with this roster next spring. You're gonna have you're going to have to. It's a good quarterback class. They they will be near striking distance the quarterback position. So get as much tape as you can on the guy you spend a third round pick on to make that decision next year. From the Rams' perspective, and again I said I was gonna compliment some slot receivers. I think Cooper Cup's actually underrated. I think he gets underrated in the national you know, conversation about elite wide receivers. Yes, he's not a deep threat, take the top off of defense type of wideout. Not, not even, like that's not his game whatsoever. But he is 
as good as you can possibly be underneath, intermediate, ball skills, physicality, after the catch. Like, he is so nails. The movie he put on Jalen Hawkins at the goal line was absurd. The spin on Michael Walker, and yeah, he had the fumble at the end of the game. That was rough. But now, through two weeks, 24 catches, 236 yards, three touchdowns. Just so uber-reliable, so damn good at working the middle of the field. I do think he gets underrated. I mean, he won the trifecta last year, and I don't think you'll there would be a single person in the NFL, or, you know, in the media calling him the best wide receiver in the NFL. But, but he's right. He truly is right there. I think we just expect the best wide receiver in the NFL to do certain things that maybe he doesn't do at an elite level. But he does all the other ones at elite level. So I think Cup's underrated. All right. On to the Texans at the Broncos. Texans cover 10-point spread on the road. Broncos get the win, but they were getting booed for a lot of this game. And my biggest Broncos takeaway is I am worried about Nathaniel Hackett. He had the <laughs> he had the hundredth percentile of cowardly punts on the if you follow the surrender index on Twitter, it basically says how how cowardly a punt is, meaning like how much they definitely should have gone for it. They had a fourth and two, 302 remaining in the third, the Houston 36, end up taking a delay game and then punting. They punted three times in Houston territory in this game. Had a one of the ugliest third. I mean, they tried to copy the Saints third down, hand it to the fullback who runs the speed option, didn't sell it well at all. Dead before it even started on a third and short. I, I, I am worried about Nathaniel Hackett. He's just feels like there's no plan of attack. And then they 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 punt instead of taking it. I think it was a 58 yard field goal. Would have been a 58 yard field goal. They tried a 64 yarder for the win last week. How are you punting for a 58 yard? I don't know. I, there's just a lot of inconsistency in the decision making right now from a game planning perspective, and the offense is out of sync to say the least. So, very worried. Very worried. From Texas' point of view, they, they competed. I, I think the secondary, much improved secondary from what we've seen in years past from the Texans. And I, and I had this take the other day, but they started playing more man coverage in this one too, which I love to see. 18 dropbacks man coverage. We said they only did like three or four, I believe, in week one. And in that, they gave Russell Wilson some fits. Only went 6 of 14. Some big plays in there, though, 114 yards. Like, I'm excited to see a little bit more of that from the Texans, just from an evaluation perspective. That's really all you're doing with this roster here this year is trying to evaluate talent because, as we know, they are not even in the make some noise category. All right, next game, one of the games of the weekend, Cardinals Raiders. <sighs> Cardinals win 29 to 23. Cover. As five and a, went out right as five and a half point dogs on the fumble. Oh my gosh! From in, in overtime from Hunter Renfro there who fumbled twice in the same drive. Rough drive from Hunter Renfro. Over hits as well. Fifty one and a half was the over there. My biggest takeaway for the Cardinals is that this feels like watching a high school football. This feels like watching high school football when they play. It's Kyler Murray running around. It's like random busts and then random big plays defensively. 
And I could see why, you know, Cliff Kingsbury said last week, we need a little more attention to detail in practice. It just, it just feels loose watching a Cardinals game. But it's fun. I enjoyed it. That, was a, uh, that two-point conversion was fucking electric. Both of them from Kyler Murray. I mean, the dude's must-see TV. Despite however many hours he's putting in in the film room. Doesn't matter how many. He's awesome to watch. That was a great game. But from the Raiders' perspective, like this is this is the game that you have to win if you're actually going to compete for a playoff spot. You cannot give these away. You can't obviously you can't start 0 2. Chances of making a playoff start 0 2 are low throughout NFL history, especially in that division when you've already dropped a game to a division rival in the Chargers. But what's up with Carter Devontae? He wasn't even targeting him. He targeted Mac Hollins when he saw me on coverage more than Devontae Adams in this game. Did Mac Hollins make the list at the end of the show? No. Because that could that's a point. That could name. be. You could take it. See it. Mac. Mac's yep. a good definitely up there. But he had chance like he did this with Cooper sometimes, right? Like Cooper was Jekyll and Hyde, and we're like, is it Cooper? Is it Carr? I, I weird game though. Twelve yards for Devontae Adams on it. Um got to go back to the draw car has got to go back to the drawing board there and just say sometimes my players i got to give my good players chances i mean maybe it's not like a great chance but you got to be looking this way a little bit more than that a little bit more than that on to the jets browns which was shit another game of the weekend these next three that we're talking about were all insanity um jets come back in big way to win 30 to 31 Cover is five and a half point dogs. Win outright. Over 40 hits in that game. And my biggest takeaway for the Browns is that we're blaming the wrong running back. Everyone's talking about Nick Chubb. Should he have gone down? They're showing the clip from 2020 where he goes, you know, slides down at the goal line against the Texans and, you know, knew the situation. Kareem Hunt doesn't go out of bounds in the play before. It's over. They deal three times. Kareem Hunt goes out of bounds after a first down. Stops the clock with 205, meaning they have to run a play above the two-minute warning. That play ends up in a touchdown, and then the Jets miraculously come back from that. And, and I get that you're not – it still took an utter miracle to do. But game situation, got to be a little better than that. And to expect Chubb to know not to go – you know, to, to thread the needle there and get down at the one-yard line, I think it's a little too – a little too hopeful about what's actually going through a guy's mind to play. Um, I mean, if you really wanted to not to just try to run off the clock, we would have knelt three times and taken field, taken field goal there. So, yeah, that one, well, I think we're blaming the wrong running back. Kareem Hunt should have gone down after, the first, after he got the first down the play before. Jets' perspective, this draft is living up to the hype, right? Three first-round picks. Now, Jermaine Johnson, maybe not so much, but because he only has two pressures on 20 pass rushes this season, but... Garrett Wilson, breakout game. The game winner, we'll get to him a little bit in the fun to watch after his first touchdown. He had some words, some choice words for some fans in the stands. But, oof, dude, he's electric. And I love the way they're deploying him, moving him all over the formation, letting him work slot outside. The release he put on Martin Emerson was R-rated, was just, oof. I mean, that, that was who he was, though. If you don't get your hands on him, you are toast. He is too physically gifted, speed, shiftiness for you to catch up. You're not going to. Eight catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns. Could have had a little bit more if Flacco would have 
found him on a couple more targets. Hell of a game from him. Sauce Gardner left for a minute, came back, gave up his first touchdown, though, I believe, ever of his entire life, I think, in this one. Tough. Hate to see it. It was going to happen at some point, but, yeah, this, this draft class is as advertised for the New York Jets. Big win for them. Big win for them to keep any hope alive until Zach Wilson comes back. All right, on to the Dolphins at the Ravens. What a game. Dolphins win 42-38. to Huge comeback, 28 points in the fourth quarter. Win is three-and-a-half-point dogs. Over hits there. And for the Dolphins, that was a different Tua. That's my biggest takeaway. That was the, that was the best we've seen Tua. And, and no, it wasn't as good as the stat line. I said that last week, that, that Tua is going to outperform. His stat line is going to outpace his performance all season long. That's just what's going to happen when you have Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill and this offense and how it's set up. It is going to look a lot better than maybe how well Tua himself is performing. But the throw to Mike Gazeki on a third and 11 was, for my money, the best play of his career to date. That was a big boy throw right over the middle of the field, had to be put in one spot, high, was. And that's just throws he doesn't, he has not made. Stole this from Austin Gale, but that was the second time in his career he th- completed a third and 11 plus past the sticks. Second time in his career. And he needed it. Needed all of them. I, I thought he was tremendous. And-, and bounced back after a you know unlucky first interception, pressed a little bit through a bad interception, and then just started rolling. And again, this offense, offense is scary. You, you have the two... The two, from a pure physical, speed, agility, whatever standpoint, the two scariest receivers in the NFL right now. Those are the most athletic receivers doing it. Jalen Wild, Tyreek Hill. There's not a scarier athlete, pure athlete. There are better receivers out there. You know, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, scarier receivers all around. There's no scarier athletes than those two. And they're scheming to it. Number one, number two in the NFL right now in receiving yards. Number one, number two in the NFL in yards per route. Not even close in any of those categories, yards per route, too. They're well, Tyree Kill's at four, 3.6 for Jalen Waddell. Not another starting receiver in the NFL over three. And they did it against the Ravens defense. It's like, it's a good secondary. Now, it took some busted coverage. Sure, that's going to always help. But scary, this is a scary offense. Uh, for the Ravens, I'm not, not even worried. You know, you ran into a fucking buzzsaw. That, that was, you had the fumble at the goal line. You had some missed opportunities. You kind of just, I don't want to say packed in in the second half, but you didn't expect your defense to just open the floodgates. So I'm not worried. They're still clearly the most impressive team in the AFC North. From the Ravens' perspective, unfortunate blip on the radar is my takeaway. And now what was... My biggest misread of any game this week. I cannot believe the Bengals went to Dallas and lost 20 to 17. Eight and a half point favorites to close that. Started at six and a half. All the way up to eight and a half. Everyone loved the Bengals in that one. Under hits as well, 43. But everyone wants to know, Bengals perspective, who is to blame? How do we fix this? Honestly, they're kind of all to blame on offense. Whether it's Joe Burrow, whether it's 
the offensive line and whether it's Zach Taylor. Kevin Cole tweeted this out. Um, they are dead last in offensive line. Oh, excuse me. They are dead last in offensive line sack prevention and second to last in quarterback sack prevention. Again, basically saying it is both their faults. Joe Burrow is holding it too long for an offensive line that has no business. And, and now, in their offensive line's defense, they face Micah Parsons and TJ Watt. Those are two of the top five edge rushers in the NFL. It's not going to be like that every week. You're not going to have the guy, an unblockable edge defender every single week that you have to deal with. That, those were big parts of why they struggled so much early on. And, and I think they will gel as the season goes on completely. Four new starters. It, it was... They're going to need some time. It will look better. But I do worry about the play calling. I do worry about Zach Taylor's conservative nature. And we'll get to it in the fun-to-watch, and it'll be the not-fun-to-watch segment because Joe Burrow's having to tell him what plays to run from on the football field. Um, I also did think this was interesting. The fourth down decision at the end of the game, the fourth and two from their own 16. With a minute nine left, uh, was very much the remember the Patriots Colts back in the day, the one that Belichick went for against Peyton Manning. I know I know they weren't facing Peyton Manning, but that was a hard go for it scenario there, according to any analytics model, and just something that twelve Ben Baldwin's fourth down decision uh, bot algorithm, if you will, had it as a twelve win percentage difference and it's kind of like and the thing that people don't want to admit is that offenses are very likely to score in those situations you punt it away they only need like one maybe two first downs in a minute with one minute on the clock that happens all the time and everyone says oh you got to give your team a chance I do if they just convert a fourth and two there you're at least getting overtime they also had a fourth and six from Dallas's forty-two yeah. earlier in the game that they that they punted it away. Yeah, which I know fourth and six isn't a gimme, but, but the forty-two were, like it, from the forty-two. Shit, kick a field goal with McPherson. Yeah, indoors he can leg that. What's your what's your field position difference? It's negligible. That that was concerning stuff. Um, very concerning stuff all around, and, and I wasn't that concerned after week one. I, I am more now. Am I panicking? I don't think it's as bad as how the Colts have looked. They, I mean, they're so close to being 2-0 still. They were in very, very close games. Um, but there are issues in Cincy with this offense that aren't just going to uh, dissipate overnight. I said it on It's Just Football, mm-hmm. too, which if you're not watching, you should watch It's Just Football on this here channel every day, Monday through yes. Friday at 11 a.m. 11 a.m. But they have the Jets, the Saints – the Falcons, the Browns, and the Panthers, all before the bye week, all before Thanksgiving. They got some get-right games. Yeah. Even if you don't, like, necessarily play well, you could still, like, hover right around 500, which does not torpedo your season. Yeah. Right? You Because that's kind of like – I mean, I know a lot of fans, like, you know, revisionist history, like, they think – not think, but, like, a lot of people almost – want to pretend that last year they were like wire to wire AFC. Yeah. And like shit that like week, it was like 12, 13 game against the Niners. It was the same thing. Like people were calling for Zach Taylor's job and like, what are they going to do? The the season's done. And then they got hot for six weeks, eight weeks, you know? So again, just kind of 
with that schedule, you can tread water and hope the same thing happens. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was my Bengals rant. No, no. I had to get it off my chest. Needed it. Needed it. All right, from the Cowboys' perspective, whew, great to steal one. If Dax could steal a couple more in this stretch without Dak, they, they still are playoff team, depending on how long Dak will be out. But my other takeaway, my biggest takeaway, Micah Parsons is going to be D, your D, D-poy this year. He's good, man. He's so he's unblockable for, for certain tackles. Now, some of the better tackles around the league are still going to probably – like I, I don't think he's – he's not crafty enough to be that doesn't matter who I'm going against, I'm going to win. But if you are not one of the more athletic tackles in the NFL, you're screwed against Micah Parsons. He will just – eat you up because he has such a good feel for like when to go to power, when to go inside move, when to counter, when to get the edge. It just dude's a football player through and through 92.1 pass rushing grade on the season. Only miles Garrett has higher and miles Garrett went, you know, gets a rookie last week. Um, Parsons doing it against Lyle Collins and, and yeah, maybe Lyle Collins isn't what he isn't looking great this season, but dude, he's uh that special player. All right. Bears Packers very very much a Bears Packers game from over the past decade. Bears 10, Packers 27, Packers cover 10 point spread under hits 42 and a half there. From the Packers perspective, the Quay Walker pick got too much hate. Now, I, I wasn't like high on Quay Walker. I did, I did not have him 22nd on the draft board. He was in the 40s on the PFF draft board. Still a top 50 player. Still a guy I think is going to be good. But it got way, way too much. His, his tackle on Justin Fields, a touchdown-saving tackle, is a play that they do not have, not had a linebacker make ever. <laughs> Shit, since I've been watching. They, they, don't, they haven't had that guy who has that kind of speed to track down a 4-4 QB in the open field. Um, and that's what they needed, right? Like this, It just got too much hate. Is he ever going to be... You know, Luke Keekley, I don't think he's ever going to be like this all-world Pro Bowl type of guy. But for that scheme, he is a perfect fitness of Andre Campbell. Doesn't miss a lot of tackles. Only one missed tackle on 16 attempts this year. Couple stops in coverage this past week. A pass breakup. Not, again, not a super instinctive player, but that is not like a defense that requires instincts. It requires you to make the plays in front of you. Quay makes the plays in front of him consistently. So good at it. So it got too much hate. He has been an upgrade for this defense, a pretty significant upgrade. Um, obviously not the greatest, the stiffest competition, but yeah, Quay had himself a nice day. And for the Bears' perspective, I don't mind them putting the training wheels on Justin Fields in this offense because it could very easily go south if you, when you are in you know, situations where you're from trailing and the opposing team knows you have to throw. Like It could very easily go south. So it only takes 11 pass attempts on the day I'm not like super worried or I'm not going to criticize the play calling that much but man Fields does not look great as a passer 50.6 passing rate in this one 34.6 in week one things are rough it's rough for that Bears offense and I don't see him getting any better but the thing is like I don't I don't want it to be rough and Fields is just trying to keep his head above water. I, I would rather it be rough and you're running the football more and trying to control the clock and just basically trying to get him not killed because he is going to get killed otherwise. 
sack three times in this one. And only nine pressure dropbacks. Like he's just got to protect himself a little bit more. And you're not this offense line is just not going to be enough to protect him throughout the course of the season. So, yeah, Bears. I'm not sure it turns around offensively anytime. They just don't have the horses. Just don't have the horses. If you haven't heard by now, Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. We've all been there in fantasy football leagues. It's Sunday morning and you're digging through news reports trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver that tweaked his hammy or you have a player on your team that hasn't been getting in the end zone. And then one week, he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. With Underdog Fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off your shoulders because it's best ball format. Draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3 tournament to take your shot at $10 million in total prizes. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. That's right, $100 in free money. Also, if you play 10 of those 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So basically, you are paying less than what you would pay at PFF.com. And it's a little, little cheat code there for you. Underdog drafts close before NFL kickoff. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft in your best ball mania team today. Get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. And now everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice. And if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if your team loses, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line at one 800 889-9789. In New York, call 877-8-HOPANY or text HOPANY 467-369. One per customer. Minimum $5 positive wager. $200 issued as $825 free bets. All right, there's your one take for each team around the NFL of week two. Nice double little double header slate on Monday night here. Excited to watch that. But let's get to the fun to watch segment here as well, where we're going to start off with Something that I found fun to watch. Some other Notre Dame fans may not have found as fun to watch. But my God, Tommy Reese in the booth over the weekend. I can't believe they showed this, honestly. And they came back from a break. Like Notre Dame and the NBC broadcaster are always... I, I, can, I can admit that they're very pro-Notre Dame. They, they do their best as like a recruiting tool to make, it, to make things seem as bright and shiny as possible for the university but they show tommy reese just going to fucking town on drew pine let's run it run it do your fucking job and like it didn't take a lip reader to see that and it, it, we didn't have the clip of pine but pine looked like a puppy dog on the other sideline he looked like he has you know it was a, a few few words away from tears there 
That was tough. I mean, and he played like their offense looks a bit. In his defense, too, there's no good way to handle getting chewed out like that. Yes. Unless you just yeah. go out and ball. Yeah. Like there's no, nobody not responds well to that. No, <laughs> it was not. Which was not an option for him. But that one, we need to see more of that because you know that's happening up in that booth. Like I, I love the OC cams, like the, the booth that has all the spotters, all the quality control guys, uh, all the guys that are, you know, up in the press box. On he the freeze in his hospital bed. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, dude, yeah. All timer. That, that's like, those are where the real reactions are going. I, I, don't, I don't want sideline stuff. I, I want the guys in the booth making the calls. That's where uh, Mike Martz tells Kurt Warner, I wouldn't have put you in this position if I hadn't believed in you. See? I want stuff I want, like that. Yeah. Yeah. A little different phone call than Tommy Reese's. Tommy Reese quite clearly does not believe in True Pine. I watched that game. Not a lot of reason to believe in True Pine, though, unfortunately. Um, next one on this. This one was tremendous. Raiders, Cardinals. Middle, of, end of the third quarter, they're up 23 to 7. Things are going great. And they're popping bottles in the stands of Allegiant Stadium. Just third quarter, life. the Raiders leading at 23 to 7. Uh, and they lost. That. That just like a lot of the sort of criticisms of the move to Vegas have, have kind of like they've kind of been a shit show ever since moving to Vegas, right? Whether the John Gruden stuff, whether the Henry Rugg stuff, whether the popping bottles at after a field goal and then before a loss. Um, that's just that was just tremendous. That was just so Vegas. All right, next one here, Garrett Wilson. Have to show this. Love the camera work from whoever got this. Just after his first touchdown of the game, going up to the Browns. No! Oh, no! Screaming in what looks like a child's face. Now, a different angle showed it may have been a little older person than at first glance. But I love any fan to player chatter caught on camera. I'll watch any clip of that. Anytime a, a fan trash talking a player, vice versa. Every time I, I see those clips, I love, I will watch every single one. They're just, they're always good content. Cannot blame Garrett Wilson for that. I would have, I would have done the same. I love, I love that interaction. That's what makes, that's what makes the sport great. All right, last one here on the fun to watch. And it's actually the not fun to watch clip of the week. Joe Burrow, after he's just getting thwarted by Micah Parsons, snap after snap, just barreled up. No, like there's been like, there truly were like three straight plays before this where I, I think Lyle Collins or Jonah Williams lost in like a blink of an eye. And they call a timeout. There was uh, one where they just, they straight up didn't block him. Yeah. It was an unblocked pressure. Yeah. Which is kind of, I mean, obviously I know it's a miscommunication, but like that's ridiculous that the guy you want to block. The, the way he was playing that yes. they lost him is absolutely ridiculous. Yes. And so on a third and four, they call a timeout, and Joe Burrow yells the sidelines, no empty set. Well, here. No empty set. Basically, don't let him tee off on me. Give me some fucking help here. <laughs> I'm going to, like, and you could see his, like, Burrow's eyes are adjusting. Like, it's not, it's, it is hampering. 
it's it, the pressure got to the point where he was altered by it. The old adage of hit him too many times and it's gonna the eyes are gonna drop. But yeah, definitely a not fun to watch clip of the week. But you know what it's time for now, Quinn. Oh, I got it queued up. It's Acho time. I'm ready. You want to you want to just run the video or how, how surprise you Acho this? time? Let's run the video okay. of Acho, and then we'll get into a full nice Acho time. Here's running have a very uncomfortable conversation about Justin Herbert. He was tough as nails last night. He was, and I hope that he gets better very soon. He got hurt with five minutes left, maybe fractured a rib. But don't let that rib injury distract you from the pick six he threw with 11 minutes left in the game that cost his team the game. Don't let that rib injury distract you from the fact that Justin Herbert now has four pick sixes since the start of last season. Most in the NFL do not let that rib injury distract you from all that all four of those pick sixes that Justin Herbert has thrown since the start of last season came in the fourth quarter. All four of those picks that came in the fourth quarter resulted in four losses. Do not let that rib injury distract you that the man that many are calling the most talented quarterback in the game is 16 and 18 as a starter. Justin Herbert is tough. Justin Herbert is talented, but Justin Herbert is also a turnover waiting to happen. So I will very simply say this, Justin Herbert, I hope that you feel better. I hope that you get better. But I too hope that your team plays better. That's what I learned about Justin Herbert, that there are levels to this. There are levels to this. Do not let Emmanuel Acho's monologue distract you. I'm actually watching those plays. <laughs> I'm actually watching the tape because the one this past weekend, obviously, was Gerald Everett just fucking gassed. He runs that route correctly without gagging it, and it's a touchdown. Put it right where he was supposed to be. Gerald Everett, obviously, turns not, did not have his heart in it, literally didn't even go after Jalen Watson after the pick. And then dating back to last season, week eight, the one against the Patriots, Jared Cook, flat route, never looked for the ball, pick six. Week 12, Broncos, literally hits Austin Eckler's hands, dropped, pick six, Patrick Sertan. Week 16, Texans, Jared Cook, shallow cross, stops his route before finishing across formation for, truthfully, he should have kept going. It, it was fairly clearly on Jared Cook. Four pick sixes, none that are like, Yikes, that was a bad pick six. Yikes, that was a bad, even like that we would call a turnover worthy play. They were not. No zero turnover worthy plays among the four pick sixes. Um, yeah. So please, 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 people, just watch the football games. I, I beg you. <laughs> it's not that hard. He's living proof that you can, like, as long as you are enthusiastic enough and, like, yeah. at times just straight up loud enough and animated enough that you can say whatever you want. And some people will be like, oh, yeah, you know, you know even if they about. even if they're like not really taking it seriously, they'll be like, well, this guy's enough of like he's crazy enough to where I can like he's an authority. I, yeah, I, I will at least pay attention. I will yeah. listen to you. Tough, tough to see. That was Acho time for the week. A little surprise Acho time. Let's get to the mailbag. Monday mailbag for this week. Had a good had a good handful of questions here. This one comes from Chris Miller on Twitter. He said. Ruling out the current top five teams, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, and Clemson. If you could take any two schools and combine rosters, which two schools would have the best chance of winning a national championship this season and why? All right. 
Now in the bonus, just how many schools would it take to make an all-star team that could actually compete with the top five? For example, every Texas school combined have a chance. I don't think it's that many. I like how many schools would it take to compete with the top five? I, I do think two. Like as soon as you get two teams together, yes, you're, you're there. To me, one of them has to be. I don't know about necessarily has to be, but one I'm definitely picking is USC. Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, Andrew Voorhees, like offensive, elite offensive talent as a baseline. And yeah, they have a lot of holes in this USC roster, but that's why you get another team. To me, the other picks, low-key, low I think Notre Dame would rake with USC because their defense, I mean, we saw them shut down Ohio State. They have a lot of NFL talent on the defensive side of the ball. So maybe Notre Dame, I, I, that, as much as that pains me, as the Notre Dame-USC mashup like hurts my soul, it would actually work out very well because the kind of deficiencies where Notre Dame stinks out loud and why they're getting the doors blown off by a team, not doors blown off, but why they have looked like shit against you know, a Marshall team, um, a Cal team, is quarterback wide receiver. Their quarterback wide receivers are taken care of by USC. Their defense is legit. So that's a good matchup. I would also throw in Penn State in there because Penn State has some talent as well, especially on the defense side of the ball. Sophomore Chop Robinson has been awesome as a transfer coming over from Maryland. Joey Porter Jr., Jair Brown on the back end. And then that freshman running back, dude, Nicholas Singleton, is an, that guy's an animal. Uh, very, like, I think he would be a huge addition. You get him with that receiving core and Caleb Williams, you're, especially if, like, Lincoln Riley is your play caller, you're competing. You're competing with the top dogs. So those are the two teams I'd probably highlight. Next one here, Jared Lenahan on Twitter. Once my pathetic Carolina Panthers finally fire Matt Rule in around six weeks, fingers crossed, who would you most likely see to take over next year and get the head coach job? And what college QB draft prospect would you like to see them paired with to start their tenure? Ken Dorsey. That's who I want. Former Panthers, great. Was with them 2013 and 2017. Cam Newton, during his MVP season, was their quarterback's coach. And then obviously goes to Buffalo. It has, is there with Josh Allen? Is, you know, borderline MVP as quarterback's coach may win an MVP with him now as OC. So I would love to see Josh, or excuse me, Ken Dorsey reunited there. Who would you draft with him? I mean, if you look for like toolsy guys, if you really think he can mold that, like, you know, if you, if you credit him for Allen's success, someone like Will Levis has been called similarly tooled, Anthony Richardson similarly tooled, someone in that mold. But like ideally more probably like a CJ Stroud would be nice for that kind of offense, I, I think would be a good fit. So that's, if you have like, you know, what's the best case scenario? I think that'd be a pretty damn good case scenario if you're a Carolina Panthers fan. All right, Matt Arroas on Twitter. Curious if you think today's Miami game will force teams into too high looks against Miami. Feel like defenses were hesitant because of Tua's noodle arm, but is Hill and Waddle speed too much even with noodle arm? I, I say this as a Miami fan, so I'm allowed to call his arm a noodle arm with no repercussions. That's good because Tua now is going to come for you. The only problem I'll say not problem. I do think you'll see more too high looks because those big plays are so much more impactful than whatever they've done in the screen game, quick passing game. But that is the kind of the thing and the beauty of this offense. It is those deep shots, but it is also predicated on quick underneath passes, getting the ball into their hands immediately. And when you do play too high, too high structures, you're taking guys from those underneath zones. And so you're just giving, just giving two a layups in terms of slants, in terms of screens, in terms of quick passing game. Because 50 pass attempts on the day, 20 of those came within five yards of the line of scrimmage against the Ravens. It wasn't just all, I mean, stat line looks awesome because of the big plays, but it was not like 
let's just pump it down the field to our two speedsters. It's like, no, let's just get them the ball however we can. And so the more you play too high, the more you can just guarantee those guys are going to get underneath targets and move the chains that way. But again, that's, but I agree, we'll see a lot too high because that's a better proposition for me if I'm a defense coordinator than the space that a single high defense can create for those speedsters to work. All right, Andrew Betridge on Twitter said this, what QB should the Seattle Seahawks be targeting this year? A lot of people in this quarterback class. Um, also, since there is a better QB class this year with having two first-round, second-round picks, would it be wise to try and take a Will Anderson or another player with their earliest pick or just take whichever QB they like right away and not worry about having to trade up for a QB in the first round? Assuming the draft somewhere in the top 10 is going to be rough. It's going to be a rough year. Yeah, that's a safe assumption. I, I am never team pass on the QB and see who falls to you and take the more talented player. I, I just don't think that's uh, quarterbacks. Again, it's too valuable a position to leave into the, to the, to basically chance to let other teams pick over it. And then you get the guy that falls to you. Now is QB one always the right choice? No, but I don't think that I'm in the business of wanting to do that. So to me, which one's going to be the best? Truthfully, it depends on who's the head coach. You could have some coaching turnover there if you are the Seattle Seahawks. Depends on who you're getting in the fold. I mean, ideally, though, keep Bryce Young's QB1 on the draft board. Ideally, Bryce Young. That's, I think you're going to want that dude at the next level. All right. Last mailbag question here from 3 and Out on Twitter. He said this, if I wanted to get into NFL draft scouting career, where should I start? Thanks. I've, we've answered like veins of this question before, and I always say do the work before like you get paid to do the work. So you want to scout, scout football on your own. Produce something that you can show people. But I do think if you're in high school and college, always get involved with, if you don't play the sport, get involved with the, the program somehow on campus, whether it's as a, a manager, trainer, whatever you can do to get involved there. Those contacts will be invaluable for you going forward. And, and then I also like reach out to people that need scouts, like bowl games, like Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl, Hula Bowl. They have a they have a they need scouting staffs. They don't have a huge budget to pay scouting staffs. That's why they will have probably people who want who are who really really want to work in football will give them experience in those manners. So we just had Eric Alco on the show last week, reaching out to people like that is a good way to start you get to go to vegas too you go to vegas, which yeah. is fun or the hula bowl you get to go to that's Honolulu, right it used to be it's now in orlando so still that's fun still cool that's still go. cool city but all right on to the moment we tease the top football jason power rankings in honor of dj dallas and his impressive uh first pass attempts past week we're doing football players whose name sounds like porn stars and there was a tough this one was tough to pare it down to five I'll uh, be real. I, I did not expect it to be as difficult as it was. Um, some guys that didn't make the cut that I thought had great names. Uh, Jalen Naylor, for obvious reasons. Max Williams with two X's. If he would have had three X's, he definitely would have made the list. But no clue why his name's Max with two X's in the first place. He was close. Runner-up. Jordan Brooks, spelling Jordan with a Y. Gets you up close to the list, didn't quite make it. Robbie Gold, I, I thought was a good one as well. Um, a few down here. I, I think if C.J. Beathard's name was pronounced a little differently, he could have been in there. I noticed that the Packers had a bunch of guys who like maybe kind of qualified for this, like Christian Watson, 
Darnell Savage, Preston Smith. Those are all like borderline type of names. But here's the top five. Number five, Morgan Fox, Chargers defensive tackle. That one might honestly like be one. That that one's definitely in the, in the mix. Again, it's got to be with three X's. Yeah, but if that's, you're gonna throw a variant. If there's there. an X in yep. your name, Needs you add two X's. more. Um, J C Horn comes in at number four. J C spelled J A Y C E E Horn. And that could go either way. That could be male or female. Yeah, you don't know. That's J C Horn. Number three, Noah Gray, is just that feels like another one that probably just is a porn star out there named Noah Gray. And again, could be a girl or a guy. Um, number two, though, Jordan Love. That one's like primo, primo porn star name. I think we're kind of onto something here. The ones that could go either way, like guy or girl. Yes. Jordan Love, DJ Dallas, when it's spelled, because he spells it D E E J A Y. It's it's like spelled out. It's DJ. not abbreviated. Yeah. Which again, that could be that could be guy or girl. DJ Dallas. Yeah. And DJ Dallas is one. He's one. That's a fucking insane name. It's it's a city as a last name. DJ, any like initials are always hot in the porn category. But there there were there were a number. I was I was impressed with how much uh how much there was to work with around the NFL in terms of I can't believe Divine Diablo did not make it. Divine Diablo didn't make it. I mean that's just a sick there. name in general. It is a sick name, but but it does, it's not like quintessentially porn related. But it's a cool name. It, it qualify for a lot of like name categories. Um, let me know who I missed though. There's got to be someone in here that I missed. I like Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox, and then is you just solid. go by with three Dawson X's. Cox. Yeah, like that's it's a, that's a porn. It's a small <laughs> like, that's jump ridiculous. To make. Yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. But that's a porn star. Not the, too much of a lead. The other one I want to throw in here, and this isn't a name, but Clark Harris, R.I.P. He's done for the season. Maybe done for his career. Mm. If you're watching on YouTube and you don't know who Clark Harris is, that. Guys, if you threw any of the names on this list on the back of that guy's jersey, that guy's in the adult entertainment. <laughs> He's, he just is. That's a completely different. Yeah. It's who looks like yeah, a who male looks porn like star, it. Yeah, not. So I just had to give him a shout like out. One. Yeah, shout outs. Because Clark Harris is just Clark a normal Harris. ass name. That's just a two first name guy. Yeah, that's as boring as it gets. All right, there you have it. Thursday, remember movie club concussion. We'll be talking about it. Until then, we now have interview with. A little Coastal Carolina action. We had a two-for-one Coastal Carolina. Jamie Chadwell, um, as well as, gosh, why am I blanking on the name right Grayson now? Grayson McCall. You I'm got a, a shirt. I'm a jerk. I got, I got the shirt. I got the I Piss Teal shirt because I got so wrapped up in it, and he's got the uh, storefront there out in out in Coastal. I called him the Chanticleers, the Chanticleers. He corrected me. It's a great interview. Uh, love, love, love watching that offense. Make sure to check it out and we'll talk to you on thursday i am joined now by grayson mccall jamie chadwell the faces of coastal carolina football and i gotta start off with this before you guys obviously came to coastal carolina did you know what the heck a chanticleer was well it's a shauna clear first of all I'm sorry, uh, excuse me, sorry. and uh no i didn't um, and uh, I'm sure Grayson didn't either, because I, I doubt I explained it to him during uh, during the recruiting uh, deal anyway. So, but get, the great thing is everybody does now. Yeah, everybody does now. So, like I said, you guys, I wanted to have you both on because you guys are synonymous with Coastal Carolina football, the rise that it has been the past two seasons. Coach, I want to start with you. When did you know that you had something special in Grayson at the quarterback position? Well, I think. Uh, 
you know, I think it's during during just his freshman year when he came in. Uh, you know, you saw some some things there that uh, hey, you know, he got a little bit different to him than what you you know might have thought. You know, during recruiting during all that. But I think the um, after his uh, freshman year, he redshirted, and then we went through COVID, and then he got in fall camp and he got an opportunity there about practice. I don't know nine or ten somewhere around in there, and he just started doing some things that. You know, you, you made your decision, like we're trying to decide hey, who's the starting quarterback going to be. We didn't know if he, he was even going to be involved in it. And we went to where, hey, this is the guy that gives us the best chance to win a championship. You know, and it, just from the uh, the way he handled himself in a pocket, the way he just made some plays with all this crap going on in the pocket, uh, you knew, hey, this guy's got something to him. And he's obviously uh, probably well above, not his expectations, but probably ours, to be honest with you. So Grayson, you had one of my favorite social media posts of the offseason when you came out with the graphic saying you pissed Teal. Have you gotten that checked out since then? Are you still pissing Teal? Oh, yeah, man. I haven't got it checked out. Just, uh, I guess I think it's normal, so I'm just going to continue to do that. I was told before, uh, my buddy Dave Safar here said that there's actually some merch, some I Piss Teal merch. Where, where can I find the I Piss Teal merch? Because I, I yeah. need that shirt in my life. Yeah, absolutely. So I got an uh, opportunity to do some NIL work with Native Sons, uh, a local um, T-shirt uh, screen printing uh, local business here. And um, we kind of collaborated and came up with that idea, and it's kind of taken off. The fans obviously love it down here, but um, a lot of good stuff on there, some hats and shirts and things like that. So uh, if you want to check it out, you can go to nativesons.com, or if you're ever in the Myrtle Beach area, you can stop by the store and check it out. they got a nice setup down there. That's awesome. That's I will awesome. be I will be going right after this because I've, I, I actually saw like the picture of the shirt and it's a pretty sick, sick design there. So back to you, Jay, I want to ask you about kind of building a program because a lot of kind of smaller programs that have risen to prominence, like your app states of the world, your North Dakota states of the world, they're from places where there's honestly not a lot to do besides football. Like, but your guys are right next to Myrtle Beach. There's a lifestyle outside of just, you know, Chanticleer football there that other guys can you know partake in how do you get that buy-in how do you get the football first mentality for a program how do you build that up well one you got to have uh you know got i think you got to have a, a clear vision and a set of values of what you're about uh, and because anywhere you go but especially here this is an unbelievable place to go to school and live uh there can be a lot of distractions that can cause you from or deter you from being you know your best and so we, when we went about building the program, what we're going to be about, we had to have a foundation that was beyond just winning. As you know, everybody wants to win, um, but you got to do it for a bigger purpose. And our whole, our whole thing was we're going to have a set of values that, that help us always keep a strong foundation, but also why we play. And we try to play for the love of brother, love for each other. If you play for the man beside you and you want his joy just as much as you want your own, then good things can happen. Uh, and so we talk all the time about what it takes to be a good teammate uh, and – how to sacrifice and how to do certain things for others. Uh, and we built our program on those values. Our values are competition, discipline, uh, accountability, and passion. That's our four core values of our program. Everything we recruit to, everything that we do is all geared towards that. Uh, and the uh, the other stuff is what we just sort of call the overflow. You know, those are, it's great to have the beach 15 miles. I mean, both of us, we got a nice team going on right now. Um, you know, which there's a lot of, a lot of cool things about that, having palm trees right at your door. Um, but at the end of the day, you're here to come be your best and give yourself a chance to win a championship, give yourself a chance to get a great degree and, and go on and play in, in the next level. And uh, we needed to have a plan to make sure guys came for the right reasons. And, and I think uh, our team has bought into those reasons and buying into playing for each other. And that's why you've seen 
you know, our rise of our program the last couple of years. So I'm the draft analyst here at PFF. I looked through a lot of football from that lens. And you guys have had three guys drafted the past two years, uh, the most in a two-year span in school history. How do you, Coach, address that to your players? Because it's something that obviously guys are thinking about. Grace has probably had some thoughts about the next level, but it's impossible to ignore. How do you address that with guys who have those ambitions? Well, I mean, we want them to have those ambitions. I think if you don't, then what are you playing for? You know, you want to play at the highest level. You want to play as long as you can. The whole reason we coached is because we weren't good enough to keep playing. You know, I mean, you, you're, if you're competitive, uh, that's what you want to do. So we, I encourage, we want our guys to have those dreams. Uh, but also, if you're going to have those big dreams, uh, you better have a big work ethic. You better have a big plan on how to get there. And so we really talk a lot about what it takes to try to uh, produce and, and have the opportunity to play at that level. Uh, and the great thing about, you know, the, the three guys the last couple of years, I think everybody in this building would say, hey, those guys worked hard. They put time in. So they saw, yes, they had talent, but they saw also the type of teammates they were, and they saw also the type of work ethic that it took to get there. So it's a great example for us that, hey, you can get, you can go from Coastal, you can play in bowl games, you win championships, you get great NIL deals, and you can get drafted and, and have a chance to uh, continue to play. Uh, and we've had several. We've had some guys in the, in the was it the USFL? You know, the, you, we had a, kid, a young man playing that won a championship this year. We got a, we got a couple in Canada. So we've had a lot of different things and that's just, it's, it's huge for our players to see if I come by in that good things can happen for our team and good things can happen individually. So one of those guys that was drafted was the talk of the preseason. Isaiah likely blew it up. 12 catches this preseason. Looks like he's going to be a star early on in his career at the next level. Grayson, have you had any conversations with him about, you know, so far as through training camp about how well he's done already? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've uh, kept in touch with him and reached out to him. And, you know, Isaiah just being the guy he is, he's super humble and just kind of low-key just out there playing ball. So, of course, I'm trying to pick his brain a little bit and ask him what's different and things like that. And, you know, he just tells me that it's, it's the same old thing. He's just out there, you know, having fun playing ball. So, uh, you know, it's motivating for guys like me that, that have those ambitions of playing at the next level. So, um, you know, it's been really cool for me to just stay in touch with those guys and and kind of learn a bit, a little bit about their process and the things they've, uh, you know, experienced so far. Coach, how do you replace a guy like that? Someone who can one play, take out a defensive end one-on-one -on -one as a run blocker and the next play split wide and beat a DB as a receiver. How, how do you, how do you scheme without a guy like that? Yeah, it's hard. You're not going to replace him. There's, you know, he, I mean, he's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a fourth round pick and then you see what he's doing right now, you know, pre again, we know it's preseason, but he's going to have a great, he's going to have a great rookie year and a great career. Uh, and we're not going to replace him with one person. You know, everything going forward is going to happen. Sometimes you get special guys like that. You know, next year you'll be asking me how we're going to place the guy sitting beside me, and you're not going to be able to replace that person. Uh, you know, you're going to – but you hope the people behind them learn from them. Uh, and maybe they're not as good in certain things, but what they're good at, you try to emphasize that, putting them in position to do what they're, what they're good at. Uh, and so we'll have some guys that are there that won't be as good as him, no doubt, but they'll be good at what they do. Uh, and continue, hopefully, you know, for Grayson and our team to have a chance to continue to put up some numbers. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'd love to have him back. I tried to get him to come back. I told him, hey, you can come back. And I said, you got a fit. I said, you got a COVID year, but he was ready to go on. I, I've been asking all of them to come back. Yeah, he, looks, he looked like he was ready this preseason. Yeah. Uh, so, Coast Carolina's offense, I mean, one of the biggest compliments I could pay any offense is that they are unique schematically within the, you know, 130 FBS teams. That's difficult to do. Coach, what was the sort of genesis of your offense? What are some influences on you? And how did you come up with basically what we've seen on tape the last two years? Well, when I, when I was in college, um, 
we were in, we were a draw, sprint draw. This is back in the early nineties. And then we had a, a coach leave and a new coach came in and, and came from air force. He was actually offensive coordinator air force. So he tried to mix some of the air force stuff with what we were doing currently. Uh, and so I got an understanding of some option principles. And then, and then as I started coaching, got into some West coast and some different things. And I always was intrigued by the run game of the option. And, and, uh, and then obviously throwing the ball being a previous quarterback. Uh, and when I got, uh, head job at North Greenville University, we had 17 scholarships. And so uh, going against people that had, you know, 36. And so I knew if we were going to try to be traditional, there's no way we'd had a chance to win. So you, you try to give yourself a chance every Saturday. And so that that offense, I visited some people from uh, obviously what I, I'd already learned, went visited Wofford a little bit because they were running some of the stuff and wanted to try to make it our own with the passing game and, and combine it from being in the shotgun and different things. And we every year we've tried to add to it and build on it. Um, but it, it was something that was born out of necessity at first because, hey, we want to try to win. And I don't care how it looks. I just want to win games. Uh, and as it's grown, as you continue to get you know better players and more knowledge of it, and obviously a quarterback like Grayson comes in and can take it to the next level. But the thing that I love about it, it is, it is unique because there's not many unique offenses in, in today's uh, you know college football. It gives us a chance each week, uh, you know, especially as we made this move to FBS, people you know don't realize we're not that old from an FBS standpoint, in our first three years, we were fighting to try to get the 85 scholarships. We had 85, but we didn't have the, we had the cap, the signing cap, you know, so you couldn't get the 85 right, right away like some teams are now. And it took us three years to finally get to an 85 uh, and uh, to try to build some depth in some of those things. And we needed a chance to try to uh, give us a chance to try to win games with maybe uh, not as much depth and none of the talent as other people. And, and that's why we've kept it and we've grown and, uh, and then you get the right players in there and it can really take off. Like I said, it's been very fun to watch your guys' tape. It's something I flip out all the time just to learn new things about the game. And Grayson, you've obviously excelled in it. You led the FBS in yards per attempt last year, led the FBS in pass rating last year. How do you not rest on your laurels? And, and is there something you're really trying to improve in your game from last season to this season? Yeah, you know, just, just continuing to do the things I've been doing to get me to this point and, and making sure I'm not taking any days off, just trying to improve every single day and, you know, not get bored with my craft, just um, continue to, you know, take what the defense gives me and, and not try to press or do too much. Um, you know, get get the ball in my playmakers' hands around me and, and let those guys make me look good, um, you know, just like they did last year. So, um, you know, just for me, it's it's continuing to grow every single day, you know, in the film room and especially out on the field. Um, you know, I think this offseason off was really good for me um, from a preparation standpoint of uh, getting my body prepared to play this year and at the next level. So, uh, like I said, for me, it's just, you know, trying to get a little bit better every day and, you know, build off what we've already done here. So on your website, Grayson, I saw that it lists tour dates. You, ha you, ha you have your tour dates, which are, you know, obviously the games throughout the season. Is your tour date this fall that you're looking forward to the most, maybe, that you got circled? Yeah, you know, uh, most importantly, the, those new teams on the schedule that we haven't got a chance to play yet. Um, it's exciting to, you know, when you see new teams on the schedule, it's exciting to go new places and, and play new teams. So. Um, you know, first and foremost, obviously, all the, all the games in the Sun Belt are, are really important to us. But um, these first couple of non-conference games are, are just as important, you know, getting us ready for um, the tough competition um, and conference. So we're really excited for all of them. But, um, you know, probably most excited for those new teams that I haven't got a chance to play yet. So I'll leave you guys with this. Coach, three years into the FBS, you've already finished rank. You've already won the Sun Belt. What does the next step for the Coastal Carolina program look like to you? Well, you want to get to where, you know, we're still obviously building, you know, and, and you don't want to, mm -hmm. you don't want to never stop basically. And I want to get to where every year, you know, 
we're consistently competing to win the Sunbelt Championship. And if you consistently in our league with the additions, if you're winning the Sunbelt Championship, then you're one of the top G5 teams in the country. And ultimately, whether that's the new playoffs, if it's expanded or it stays the same, we ultimately want to be considered, uh, you know, the top G5 program in the country. That's what we're shooting for. That's our that's our big vision and that we can play in a New Year's Six. That's what we're trying to do. Obviously, Cincinnati accomplished that, uh, you know, and, and which is tremendous for us. UCF's done that before. Uh, and, and for us, though, that's our that's our for me, that's the biggest vision we can have with the current model. Uh, and but for us to do that, we got to consistently, you know, win the Sun Belt. And so everything that we're doing is geared toward winning it. And hopefully every year you look at us and you go, hey, I know they're going to have a chance to win it every year because of the type of program they have. And that's the standard that and the expectations of everybody that plays here going forward. Love it so much. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to watching both you guys this fall. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, guys.